Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics that are brought up by Matthew Farrell's YouTube channel, Undecided. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I am the chief interrogator on the podcast. And with me is my brother, Matthew. Hello, everybody. I'm a user interface and user experience designer by trade. been doing that for over 20 years, but I also have my YouTube channel that I started almost two years ago, and I talk about smart technologies. What is the anniversary of the YouTube channel? It'll be this July. Wow. It's already been two years. Yeah. Two years this July. That's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about his most recent episode, which dropped on February 11th, 2020. I don't know why you didn't make it a Valentine's Day episode. I think that would have been very sweet (laughs) and everybody would have really appreciated the thought. Yes. (laughs) The episode focused on EV conversion and the fully charged live experience, which took place in Austin, Texas. We talked a little bit about this in the last episode, but this uh, episode of your channel is a deeper dive into your experience as opposed to just the, I can't believe this all happened. You actually talked about things that happened. Yeah. (laughs) And you start off by showing a number of vehicles from Tesla competitors. Yes. But you don't really mention your experience with them. So I'm wondering, what are you trying to hide? (laughs) The fact that they're actually really nice. Um, These are tough questions on a contentious still to be determined. This is why you're the chief interrogator. That's why I'm the interrogator. That's right. I'm very impressed by them. I honestly am. I didn't get a chance to ride in them, but I got a chance to kind of like look at them more up close in person. Right. And this is a step in a better direction from the previous car show, which you had an episode about which talked about the total lack of actual meat on the bones. Yeah. This looked like these were vehicles that could actually, or are actually going to be road ready. Yeah. Both. I mean, like the Audi e-tron and the Porsche Taycan are actually out there in the world and the Rivian is going to be coming this year. So they're, they're real cars. The Rivian was an interesting looking one. I think it's on one hand, it's so there's like the 10 year old in me that remembers watching sci-fi movies, the bad sci-fi movies that you and I grew up on. <laughs> yes. And it would be like the car of the future would roll into the scene. And even at the age of 10, I'd be like, that's just a car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now to see vehicles that have been designed to almost look like those modified vehicles from those movies where people were like, well, let's make the headlights rectangular. Yeah. And narrow. So it looks almost like a slit yeah. as opposed to a bulb. And that will look like it's futuristic. And 20, 30 years ago, it was like, you're just being stupid. And now they're actually <laughs> following that design concept just to make it look different. Yeah. But well, I think that the uh, Rivian is one. Did I say that properly? Yeah, Rivian. I'm yep. not familiar with that company. Is that a. It's a that, startup. It's a startup like Tesla. So it's yeah. it's completely separate. Okay. Amazon has actually invested heavily in them and Amazon has announced they're gonna have a fleet of EV uh, delivery vehicles Mm. that are going to be built on the Rivian skateboard. So, okay, they're, yeah, it's, they're, they're going to be a big company. I I have little doubt of that. So it's the sort of vehicle that we may see first as delivery vehicles out on the street. Yeah. I don't think there's going to be a lot of Rivian UPS truck. We might start seeing those as Amazon. Yeah. You'll see blue you know, Amazon delivery trucks that are all basically powered by Rivian. And what about the, the Porsche? Is it, a, it's an SUV? Well, the, you, por- the Porsche Taycan is a sports car. It's a sports car. Okay. And the Audi e-tron is kind of a SUV. 
Okay. And the sports car, does it actually have specs that would make it a vehicle that people would be drawn to as a vehicle as opposed to as an electronic vehicle? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a Good very... acceleration, top speeds, stuff oh, yeah. like that. It, it's, it's an incredibly fast, fast car. And that's one of the big selling points is like uh, the Tesla Model S, which has been one of the fastest you know, road legal cars out there up until now. Uh, when you do like zero to 60, like if you're, if you're driving this to race it, um, after like several laps, you lose a lot of that punch because the battery's so hot right. and it doesn't have the voltage to give you that kick anymore. And one of the things that Porsche was bragging about was you can do, you know, zero to 60 like launches on that Porsche Taycan again and again and again. And it won't like die as quickly as right. the. You're gonna Tesla. look like an idiot if that's how you drive, though. Yes. Go from yeah. zero to sixty. This is meant for on the drive. Why is he driving like that? <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's it's meant to be a track car. Right. It's, it's really what it's for. I wonder if there's been any the actual race car race cars, the Formula One racers and stuff like that. I wonder what companies are toying with with those vehicles. Oh, they're, they're, they're heading down kind of this weird hybrid territory Yeah, where there's still gasoline engines, but they're using, um, EV motors to give it some extra punch. But then there's also an entire, I can't remember what it's called, but there's an electronic race where it's, it's, it's all electric race cars mm. and they are, <laughs> you want, you want to say they're fast. They put gas cars to shame because of the torque that they have. They can launch like nobody's business and uh are you sure it's not just the tyco racetrack that we had when we were kids well what's what's (laughs) scary what's scary sean is there's actually a race i think i saw it it's i think it's over in europe where it's uh autonomously driven race cars oh boy and one of the reasons for that is they go so fast and they have such g-forces it would be hard for a human to seriously <laughs> to be in the car right and, and if you see these cars there's no cockpit because there doesn't need to be so they're really right. low to the ground You're racing a drone essentially yes it's it's crazy it's it's crazy where this is all going right and do the drivers sit in some sort of vr unit yes. so that they're seeing as if they are actually in the car yes that's that's they're, that's pretty cool they're, they're they're sitting off that also like is much some, safer obviously you'd have they're the like, ability in a, they're like in a garage say, yeah yeah <laughs> you'd have the ability to say like there was a uh, an accident but nobody got killed because of unless you wanted to really keep that level of danger in racing and just have the drivers sitting on the track <laughs> or there's a man behind him holding a gun to his head right. <laughs> if the car crashes we're gonna kill you. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Well, we just came up with a fascinating game of the future. <laughs> a, hor- a horrific game thought, of the future. You thought Running Man was dark. <laughs> oh, my God. And the the two that had me scratching my head were the, the Harley Davidson vehicle. Yeah, the That didn't form. really look like, was it a motorcycle with something on it or was it a different style of vehicle altogether? It was just a motorcycle. It's just an okay. EV motorcycle. And it is loud. Is oh it really? God. Yeah, it's like it's not a gas engine. It's the motors. The electric motors are so loud when they're revving. It's they had it. They had it in the building, and they were letting people get on it, rev it, and I think they were limiting it to thirty miles an hour. And mm-hmm. at thirty miles an hour, it was obnoxiously loud. That's I would imagine that's probably by design. Yes, because there's be the whole design. there's the slogan of pipes save lives. The 
motorcycle riders want their motorcycles to be loud so that they can be heard coming. Yeah. I don't think they're doing anything to muffle the motor noise because I think one of the things that draws people to motorcycles is that, you know, manly yeah. rumble. Yeah. And it's like, this doesn't make any noise when it's idling, of course, but right. like when you, when you're revving it, it's like, that's why I make motorcycle noises when I walk down the street. <laughs> and I bet you get some looks. Well, people get out of my way because they know a man's coming. <laughs> I don't know if that's what they think is coming, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the other one was I, the Archimoto. Arkimoto. Arkimoto. Okay. Yeah. I love that they call them the FUV, which is the fun utility vehicle. <laughs> so is it sort of like a quad? Like, it's a little, it's yeah, okay. essentially. Um, and because it's, it's basically like a, like a large motorcycle, but it doesn't require a motorcycle's license because mm-hmm. it's not a two wheel vehicle. Uh, so you can just have a regular driver's license to use them. And they're surprisingly roomy. And like, it's like the perfect thing for like you being in New York. It's like getting around New York city. And mm-hmm. one of these things would be a breeze small to park you can run down to the store load it up and go back home and you can even get it with doors so that you can be isolated from the elements so it's 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 pretty it's pretty freaking cool the thing we see in the city that's closest to that is probably the smart cars yeah which are little tiny two-seaters that look like a golf cart got a body put over it they can go fast enough for a highway too not that you'd want to do highway driving, but it's like, I think that would be a little fast. terrifying, but it would probably be terrifying, but also a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> if there was nobody else on the highway. That, I mean, part of the reason I'm so excited about Arkimoto is EVs are kind of like unlocking whole new styles of transportation that weren't possible before. Right. So you have everything from electric skateboards to electric bikes to things like the Arkimoto to cars, to trucks, to eventually semi trucks. So it's like, it's the traditional style of car we're used to, but it's opening up new form factors that we've never seen before. Right. Almost like a limitation previously was, well, if you're going to have a motor, it's going to be this big and it's going to use gasoline. And so it's, you're smell. Going, it's going to be this kind of vehicle. So it has to therefore be this big and you're already at a car. Whereas these new technologies are allowing for, like you said, the, like the skateboard. Um, and I mean, literal skateboard, I'm not talking about the, yeah. you know, the corporate use of that term, um, for the vehicles. I was walking up the street with my girlfriend the other day and a guy on a skateboard went zooming past us uphill. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you could hear the little motor going and he, I've seen uh, guys cruising around on the streets with um, you can see in their hand, they've got the remote control. Yep. So they're controlling the speed there. And he went zooming up the street. And I just quietly said to my girlfriend, that was one hell of a push. He. (laughs) So another element of the video was a nice um, interview with Mark Davis from moment motors who is doing a fascinating job of basically recycling classic cars by converting them into electric vehicles. And I thought that was, first of all, that's just really cool. Yes. From an environmental perspective, the idea that these vehicles, which are for all intents and purposes in great shape, aren't just mothballed, aren't just sitting in somebody's garage and aren't using 
their original motors, which continues to be the carbon footprint that people are trying to get rid of. Right. The idea that you can sort of rescue these great looking vehicles and bring them into modern usage in this way is really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these are collector pieces. Like in one, in the interview, he talked about how when you're a car person, you see this car that you're like, oh, I love this. I have to have this car. It's kind of like a dream of your, you know, to own that car. But like if you're, if you want to have electric vehicles, but you have this great classic car, it's like it gives you an option to kind of bring it to the future with you. Were there any cars that he had there that surprised you? Well, I mean, he had a, there was a Porsche there, which didn't surprise me because of course somebody's going to convert an old Porsche, but it was like, there was a little mini. It's like, why did somebody convert a mini? Right. It was like this really old classic looking mini. And it was, it seems like a lot of money to spend on what was ultimately a super cheap car when it was even brand new, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's a very classic car. And it's like, so I understood somebody probably has an affection for this car and didn't want to leave it behind. And so they converted it. that, That was the one that kind of surprised me the most. I can imagine the VW bugs and microbuses are yeah. probably very popular with that too. And then yeah. there's the, for me, there's amusement there because those two vehicles have the classic VW engine sound. Yeah. The sort of tapaka, 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 like that sort of, <laughs> oh, you can, you know, that's that kind of vehicle. And to turn it into an EV where it's going to kind of have that room silent, silent yeah. running is, is kind of funny. Yeah. Did he talk at all about the evolution of the technology during the time that he's been doing this? How, how long has he been doing this? And has he seen improvements that have made his job easier? We didn't get into that. He's been doing this for a while. So I'm, I'm going to guess he's seen a lot of improvements. Did he mention at all the what is the battery life of, and I mean the, the, like the usage life, if he has one of those cars fully charged, how many miles could he get out of it? Yeah, we, we talked about that a bit. Um, and he, as he pointed out to me, and I totally get this, to say how many miles a car gets is difficult on an electric vehicle, any electric vehicle, even Tesla's, because how many how much weight is the car carrying? What's the weather outside that, that makes the range fluctuate? Mm-hmm. So if you're driving one of these cars on the highway at 80 miles an hour, it's going to be very different mileage than if you're tooling around the city at 30 miles an hour. Um, so you're gonna, your range is going to be wildly different. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about like most of these conversions, like like the Porsche, maybe 9,500 miles on a charge. Um, so it's not going to be anywhere close to what you can get in a brand new designed to be an EV car. Mm-hmm. But it's still way more than you need for daily driving, considering the average driver only drives 50 miles round trip right. every day. So if somebody was going to do this to a vehicle, to use it as their everyday drive around vehicle, it actually would yes. be doable. Yeah, absolutely. I, this would not be a long range road trip car. Right. It would be meant for daily driving or taking out for the weekend and having some fun with it. It's that kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about your video was the opportunity for you to go around Austin and see how energy efficiency has been built into new housing communities. And you mentioned the library in Austin. Mm hmm. And I thought that was a very interesting sightseeing routine for you to follow as opposed to what most people do when they're in Austin, which is around food and music. You were wandering around saying, where are your solar panels? That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, d- I did go into the heart of Austin uh, 
a couple of the nights. Uh, one of the nights I ended up at a bar on, I can't remember what the name of the street was, but it's like one of the big streets that all the college students go to. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I turned, I turned the corner to go meet some people. And when I was driving down the street, I could barely get on the street because it was just packed with like 20 year olds. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my first thought was, where am I and why am I here? <laughs> but it, it was like amazing food, uh, amazing music, uh, it, it, the classic stuff but i was also of course you know austin's an incredibly progressive city and has you know all the tech companies are there like google has an entire building it's like uh tesla is like alluding to the fact that they might be building a gigafactory in austin mm-hmm. now um which is <laughs> doesn't surprise me at all uh but the stuff that they're doing down there is incredibly progressive and most of the time when i hear about like solar panels and like the advancements being done in renewable energy and things like that you think california and then you also sometimes think about massachusetts Mm -hmm. because we're also one of the leading places in the country but you you rarely hear people talking about hey texas you know hey big oil (laughs) down in texas there's a city (laughs) that's doing some amazing things yeah there was uh one of the comments on your video was from a gentleman who pointed out that he was in texas and he said Mm -hmm. we are huge into renewable energy and the oil and gas companies there have the history and you know for better or worse became sort of texas's brand and but a state that size has to have diversity in its economy it's sort of like california in that way it can't depend on one industry and thrive he mentioned in his post that there were outside of California, I believe he mentioned that they have the largest wind farm in, yeah. in the country. And it makes perfect sense. You know, you've got the Gulf, you've got huge expansive areas where there's nothing. Um, and the idea that they would just let that sit there as opposed to putting up wind farms and putting up solar farms and stuff like that would be, it would be ridiculous to, to do that, to say, no, we're yeah. doubling down on oil. But that's, that's kind of like my East coast bias um, you know, it's like I was, I am a coastal elite, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been to Dallas a couple of times and I've been to Austin and the more I go down to Texas, the more I'm really impressed with that state. Um, cause Dallas is also very surprisingly more progressive than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And it's a very cool city, but Austin just blew me away. I understand it's also a state that a lot of people are relocating to and specifically Austin area yeah, because they find it has all those qualities that you're talking about. Jobs are easier to find and it's climate is arguably nicer than New York and Boston (laughs) where the two of us (laughs) cost of living. Yeah. Cost Cost of living living is a lot lower than, than here. So hats off to Texas. Yes. So from my perspective, that's, uh, kind of a wrap on the discussion around the video. It was, you talked about a lot in it, but it it had a narrow focus because it was all about the conference and your experience with being there and what you saw there. So yeah. given that we've got a couple of extra minutes, I thought it'd be an opportunity for us to talk outside of the box of the typical podcast episode and talk a little bit about what we've been consuming in our non-tech-related uh, lives. <laughs> yes. The other thing that we like to do, a little pop culture. A little pop culture. 
little pop culture now and then. So our odds and ends. And um, I'll go first. Uh, just a couple of things that are on the horizon for me that I'm looking forward to. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, big Star Trek nerd. So I've been very excited about the upcoming Clone Wars season that has mm-hmm. finally resurfaced after years of it being originally planned to be a part of the series and then disney when they took over they shut down production on the show entirely and then reluctantly allowed a small closing story arc to be produced but it didn't do everything that the producers of the show wanted so now that disney has got their animation star wars animation stuff going full bore they've decided to go back and allow for a complete full closing of the story to tell the end of the clone wars story arc i'm very excited about that yeah and i've also been enjoying uh the new star trek show picard i'm i've been enjoying discovery as well but on a much slower pace i haven't felt the compelling drive to get to every episode in the same way and as my girlfriend said it's a great sci-fi show but it doesn't feel like a great star trek show to her what season are you in we're currently in the second season Okay, second season for, for me was where it kicks into high gear. I've, again, I really do enjoy it, but it just has a thing about it that's like, okay, get what they're doing. But it's not hitting in the same way that Picard has been hitting for me. Yeah. And Picard has been hitting in two ways in particular. I don't know how many episodes you're into it. I've, I've, I think, yeah, we're all cut up. Okay. One of the things I really, really like about it is them going back and pulling and the the showrunner on it is Michael Chabon, yeah. who, if people aren't familiar with him and they should be, um, he's an extremely uh, successful novelist. Uh, he did Wonder Boys, Cavalier and Clay. He is a self um, described comic book geek. His, um, work has focused on pop culture as an element of his fiction. Uh, he was also involved in development of stories around the Spider-Man movies, the, the earlier ones with this show. It's his understanding of the lore and the episodes of next generation is obvious. One of the things I've really enjoyed is them going back and pulling characters forward and having them in the show without it being a huge, Oh, we're going to go talk to this person now. And here's the history of that person. Just having a person mentioned or having a person in a scene, but not going into a deep dive to explain who they are. Like Hugh, like Hugh, the people who (laughs) know who he is, know who he is. The people who don't know who he is still understand what's going on in the show because ultimately what that character is doing in the current time of the, of the show is most important to the storytelling. It's so it is both fan service and good storytelling because very often fan service is not good storytelling. Yeah. So like he was a great example. Um, and the, the introduction from the very beginning, they referred to the researcher Maddox who, himself was a character in an episode of the next generation. It was three episodes into it where they mentioned da 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 Maddox. And I suddenly went, Holy cow. I just remembered who he is. It was 
not necessary to the plot that I recognize he was a throwback. But once I did recognize it, it added a level of depth to it that I really yeah. enjoyed. He, yeah, he's a character from my favorite episode. Yeah. Measure of a Man. Yeah. The other thing the show is doing that I think is really, really cool is it is leaving a lot of mystery as to what is going on. The slow mm-hmm. reveal of all the intricate locking in of gears has been, I think, something I didn't expect from it. I thought it would be a like discovery. I thought there would be some larger story arcs, but I thought that it would be more episodic. And it hasn't been that. It's been really heavily, heavily one episode uh, leading into the next. And with a lot of storytelling that leaves you kind of scratching your head and saying, like, what is going on? Yeah. And I've really enjoyed that. I didn't expect there to be that level of you're going to be in the dark. I I knew it was not going to be episodic just because that's the nature of current television with the streaming services. They tend to be very linear episode throughout each episode with a nice big arc but i did not expect as much mystery either in this and i also didn't expect it to take three episodes to get picard into space yeah <laughs> it's it they're they're really taking their time to put the story together and it feels very uh methodical and well thought out yes yeah and then there are little things that i'm enjoying i think the casting uh by and large has been really really well done. I like, I like mm-hmm. the actors. Um, I enjoy that on the ship that they finally have that the, the yeah. captain of the ship Rios yeah. <laughs> has been using various versions of himself as the emergency holographic crew, basically, yes. that as opposed to yeah. having a crew, he's relied on those and that they all look like him and have different accents. So I think that that must've been a very compelling um, an attractive thing for the actor to yeah. be brought in with the, you're going to have to create different personas for these different parts of the ship. Um, but it's also brilliant because it like also um, gives the, the, the show is very heavy and very, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> it's got a weighty topic they're dealing with. But then this adds just the right amount of levity in the scene. So as soon as the captain joined the show, for me, it found the perfect balance between you could breathe a little concepts. bit more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's it's actually feels like it's finally hitting its stride between the humor and the action and the the topic, and also the introduction of the researcher, the scientist yeah. who's joint who basically um, she shows up as the audience member, and she is yeah. literally walking into the room and saying, "I don't know what's happening. Can somebody yeah. describe to me what's happening?" And because in the first several episodes, it really was very much references to things and a tone that was, we are not going to spoon feed you the audience. And she shows up and provides moments of, can we slow down for a moment and talk about what's happening? Because I'm a little confused. (laughs) Yes. Um, And the most recent episode introduced, uh, one of the things I'm really enjoying is the slow reveal you know, you first see Picard in the very first episode. And of course you bring to the show, if you're a fan of the next generation, your own emotional, you feed the show with the honor and respect to that character. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get to the most recent episode, 
they've chipped away at that and they've yeah. given him a pretty incredible flaw that the series is about him addressing the weakness of his response when things didn't go his way that he basically withdrew and pouted. Yes. And as he said, in the most recent episode, he let the perfect become the enemy of the good. And I think that's a fantastic contemporary message given the world we're currently seeing around us. The idea of letting perfection stand in the way of doing good things um, is always a danger. And I think that the show making that his Achilles heel has been fascinating because what else were you going to do to him other than make him fail at something? Because otherwise yeah, the character it's, it's, had nowhere to go. It's interesting that they've turned this into a redemption yeah. story, essentially. Yeah. And it's like you look back at at what they did in the series and then they went into the movies and arguably the best of the um the best of the Star Trek Next Generation movies was the one where they brought the Borg back into it. And mm-hmm. that was basically he was then Captain Ahab with it was a Moby Dick story. He was seeking yep. vengeance. He was seeking to destroy the thing that had hurt him so badly. This being the he withdrew from public life and from even trying to do good and abandoned people around him is a fantastic starting point. And I think that it's going to be, I think it's really going to be a, a, an exciting show and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And last uh, thing I'll throw out there for anybody who has kids or even if they don't have kids, lock and key. <laughs> this is the one I was going to bring up. Myself. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about them? <laughs> uh, I've never read, the, it's based on a graphic novel written by Joe Hill who's the son of Stephen King, correct? Yeah. I'd never read the graphic novel, but I've always heard amazing things about it. And for me personally, uh, I'm a kid of the 80s, grew up Steven Spielberg, you know, Goonies, all that kind of stuff. Uh, But I have this, you know, I'm an adult. I like, you know, adult storytelling. And I'm drawn to things that are kind of like family affair storytelling. Uh, So when lock and key popped up like Harry Potter is the same thing. It's like, it's not a kid's book. Harry Potter is much more than a kid's book. It's like an everybody book. Um, anybody from a kid all the way to an adult can read it and enjoy it and get something out of it. Lock and key strikes me as the same thing. And there's something about the quality of that show that just pulled me in from the very first moment. I think it was the, the theme music mm-hmm. <laughs> to me <laughs> feels very evocative of like nine eighties and nineties films. Uh, uh, Steven Spielberg movies and things like that. There's this whimsy and kind of like dark edge to the, the, the tone of the music. And then the way it's shot is very cinematic. And then the storytelling around the, this family where it feels like you're watching a young adult novel, but there's this weight to it. That's very adult. Yeah. So it's like you're, you're clearly watching an everybody uh, TV show. So I would, I would argue that, I don't care if you have no kids or if you have kids, I don't care. It's like, this show is worth watching. Yeah. It's, it's each episode is getting better and better. And my wife usually doesn't like <laughs> young adult stuff. Mm-hmm. And we watched the first episode and she was kind of like, ah, that was okay. And the second episode, she was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch the show. We could start watching it and I may end up leaving. And I was like, okay. So we started watching the second episode. She finished the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Out. And then she was like, let's watch another one. Right. <laughs> I was like, 
So it's like she very quickly got wrapped into well, it's, it. It's, it's, it's really wonderful storytelling. Yeah, one of the things about it, um, the most evocative writing for kids is when the kids' world is doesn't evolve into the adult world, but is invaded by the adult world. Yeah. And yep. you look at a movie like E.T., the children in that movie, their lives are invaded, not by the alien, but by the adults who respond to the alien. Yes. And it's stranger things. It's the same thing. It's the kids have their fantasy world that they all revolved around. And then when Mm -hmm. the nightmarish things start to happen, the nightmarish things bring the adult world into them, their world. It's that sudden we have to keep secrets. The adults want to know what's happening and we have to keep secrets. We can't let them know what's going on. Terry that, Potter. And the same thing with Harry Potter. The same thing with when you have a really well told, um, there's a, there's a book rules for stealing stars, which is by Corey and Haydu, which is a middle grade slash young adult novel. Mm-hmm. And it's about these four sisters who, discover that they have the ability when they go into their closets, they can go in and bring themselves into an alternate world. Right. And the alternate worlds that they go into, they craft, they create. And when they go in, they each have a different experience. And one of them begins to have a very nightmarish experience. And it's a question of like, is there a malevolence there is what's going on there? Mm-hmm. And the overriding structure of the family is their mother is an alcoholic. Right. It's about their mother's alcoholism. It's about her, the mother destabilizing the family structure so that these girls are having different responses to mom is sick. And when they go into the closet and create their worlds, one of them finds that what she wants to do is she finds her own addiction. She's going mm-hmm. in as a child. She's recreating her mother's path in her fantasy life. It's a fantastic novel and it's extremely powerful. And it is one that kids can read. It is also one that as an adult, I read it and looked at it and said, Oh, I see what's going on here. This is about addiction. Right. Right. So I think that this show is doing that masterfully and it is, it's not giving anything away to say that it's one of the things it's dealing with is the death of a parent. As the first invasion into the children's lives, the children have this life with their parents where, and it's very typical, the oldest kid is beginning to butt heads with his dad and the youngest kid is still the baby of the family. And the daughter feels a little bit like an outsider, even in her own home. And then the, one of the parents dies and that has destroyed their family structure and they're trying to rebuild it and they're rebuilding it with then the introduction of these fantastic experiences, but the fantastic experiences are not the first starting point of the adult invasion. The adult invasion is the death of their dad. So yeah. And just like you were talking about Picard, the mystery box aspect of the show is, is fascinating. It's just like how it's unfolding slowly. And there's like a, it's like deeper and deeper into the, you know, <laughs> the story yeah. we go. It's just like a Pandora's box. Yeah. Which and I compare really, it, which to, is really cool. It's, it's sort of the young adult version of the haunting of Hill house, which was yeah, yeah. another series that was, um, really, really well done and about a family having those experiences 
but it's told more from the adult perspective, even though it does have a really well done parallel storytelling between the same characters as children and their experiences as adults. And as adults, they are beginning to look back and say what really happened back then. And they're trying to piece it all together. The difference between the two is in this one, I think lock and key has taken those experiences and added enough whimsy to lighten it while still being dangerous. You still get the idea that there's a malevolent person. There's somebody out to get things. They don't know exactly how to piece it all together yet. The haunting of Hill house. I almost broke my own foot because there was a scare (laughs) in it that was so intense that I kicked my ottoman and ended up deeply bruising my foot. And I may in fact have broken a bone. I was limping for, for quite a while after watching that. So my review of the haunting of Hill house is I nearly broke my foot. (laughs) Yeah. The tone's a little different, but there is a lot of parallels between those shows. Yeah. Also in the, really cool creepy victorian home just the look of the home it's yeah in fact when we started watching this one my girlfriend she thinks that the interiors it's the same building she thinks they're using the same set for the interiors of the house in this show that was used in the haunting of hill house i don't know i don't don't know about that either but it there's a lot of similarity in the look yeah so I think with that, we'll we'll wrap this episode up. Let us know what you think about either Matthew's experiences in Austin or about the pop culture shows that we've been talking about. If you guys have any thoughts about the Star Wars, the Star Trek, the ghost stories, books, movies, whatever, let us know. And if you enjoy hearing us talk about those things, let us know that as well. Uh, we can include more of it if it's popular. And we can include not more of it if it's not popular. <laughs> yeah. So you can follow us at Twitter, which is at still TBDFM, or you can follow me at by Sean Farrell. You can follow Matthew at, at Matt Farrell or at undecided MF and make sure to check out the latest videos on his YouTube channel, which is undecided with Matt Farrell. You can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm you can subscribe and leave reviews at places like spotify itunes and stitcher be sure to give us a rating review and share it with your friends because it really helps the podcast and the podcast helps the channel and the channel helps matthew and then matthew helps me (laughs) it's a trickle down there it's a real it's a it's an example of the tree of life so thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you in the next one 